Before we start today's show, I want to invite you to join my community of SaaS founders, agency owners, and others who are sharing tips, tricks, strategies, and tactics for creating successful cold outreach campaigns. It's a free group on Facebook called Cold Outreach Mastery, and you can get there by heading over to morgandwilliams.com slash community. And if Facebook isn't your thing, but you still want valuable cold outreach advice, head on over to morgandwilliams.com slash newsletter and put in your best email to get first in line for valuable resources that I share on how you can fill your calendar with sales meetings and your pipeline with opportunities. Now, let's start today's show. Welcome to the B2B Sales Tech Podcast. This is the place where you'll find real conversations with real sales leaders about how you can leverage sales technology to get ahead of the pack. Improve your sales numbers by taking advantage of emerging technology before your competitors get there first. They'll share everything from the trends they're seeing in the marketplace to actionable strategies that you can use to make more sales today. So if you're ready for a value-packed interview, listen. On. Here's your host, Morgan Williams. Welcome to the B2B Sales Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Morgan Williams, and today I have the pleasure of interviewing Lola Akinyale. Lola is an email copywriter that helps SaaS companies triple revenue and cut down churn. She's helped over 50 clients get amazing results. If you're tired of converting only a few free trial users, higher churn than growth, and struggling with hitting your MRR goals, then let Lola show you a simple way to get more conversions and increase customer lifetime value without spending more on ads. Lola, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. How are you doing today? Very fine, thank you. Um, thanks awesome. for having me. Absolutely, absolutely. Can you start us off by walking us through your background and how it's led to what you're doing now? Okay, um, I've always loved telling stories. So I have a degree in mass communication and eventually I ended up working in radio for about four years. And I was really content to continue working there, like having programs, interviewing people. But one thing really changed a lot for me. And that was when I had to change departments. So from being in the normal broadcasts um, segments, that's presentation and programs, I was moved to admin. And if you worked in media before, you know admin is like the back end of a sales funnel. So that's why I really saw that what really drives the station isn't just the program or the content we put out. It's actually the fact that we're getting adverts. If we don't have advertisements, mm -hmm. the station is dying. So that really made me really get into sales. And I started seeing sales as like the lifeblood of businesses. And eventually after like a year in admin, someone asked me to do the same thing for their business. And before you know it, I eventually left radio, but I took that journalism background and I put it into every single thing I do. So um, content, I rely a lot on telling stories, trying to reach people emotionally and connect. So that's really how I started. And from there, you know, things just happen, things fall into place. One thing happens, and before you know it, you're doing something else. So it's kind of amazing. But mm -hmm. over the past six years, um, a lot of things changed for me. Awesome. So I'm curious, what was it? You know, you, you moved from, you mentioned the front to the back of the house in admin sales, working, selling ad placements, right, for the radio. So yeah. what was it about that? 
kind of inspired you or what was it that made that kind of click in your head that, hey, this is really interesting selling ad space. This is the real driver of the station. For me, it was really when it had a very funny boss. So when every every week he'll come and say, we're not making sales, we're not making sales, we'll so close down. Sounds <laughs> yes. familiar. So every, yeah. <laughs> every time. I think I worked for him too. <laughs> The pressure was always there. So it was more like if we don't make... And people who are at the front of the house, who are on radio, who are doing everything, they don't know that the heat is really on us. So it was really, really tough. But we had to move the station from where it was to where it is now. Of course, I left already. But initially, we are making money. So that's why they had to take some people from the front and move them to the back, move them to admin and stuff like that. And we now had to start aggressive marketing, really aggressive marketing. Every channel we're using social media, going from office to office, we're talking to people. We just had to make sales because there were targets to be met. Um, And of course, you know, media is not cheap. So there are things to be paid for and stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. So you're going around in person, knocking on doors. You're, I assume, making phone calls to on social media. What's the pitch or the hook or the draw for someone to advertise on the radio? If I was going to do it now, I'll have better results because then we had no targets. We just wanted anybody, anybody, everybody could come and advertise. So we're just going after wanting something. <laughs> we will look for you, we'll mm-hmm. hunt you down. So once you have a business, we will practically hunt you down. So we'll send you an email, we'll call, we'll come visiting until you place an ad. So we didn't have any targets. All we just knew was we want to make this amount of money at the end of the month. We have to get this number of people to place ads. And that was just those were the only two targets we're looking at. Mm-hmm. If I'll do it down, I would actually pick people whose customers were listeners instead of just going blindly and just like talking to every single person. Mm-hmm. So Absolutely. that was weird. So I was on LinkedIn, I was everywhere. I just started even removing some people from my LinkedIn. Like I had over 5,000 connections. I just cut it down to like 3,000 now. Because there were so many connections I was building then because I wanted to reach out to them to come and advertise with us. Mm-hmm. All over the place. So, <laughs> you also mentioned telling stories and relying on stories. Can you explain why that's important in sales um, and marketing? For storytelling, it's, it's not just important. It's, oh, is there another word for important? Well, I say essential. Is, I think that's the same thing, but it's so, so important because it allows you to connect deeper. See, we all remember stories. No matter how old or young you are, you have one story you remember, something that happened, something someone told you. And I realized that stories actually work very well, especially in B2B, because when you go to tell the business owner, oh, you know, I actually helped this person get this result and really this is the whole story of what happened. The person gets more, oh, wow, you really mean you did this? But if you just go out and start with brokers and just write, you know, all this company speak, business speak and everything. It doesn't really reach to that person emotionally. And we all know that emotions matter. Like just a simple story can change a lot of things. So I've always loved stories. Like so many stories from 
childhood and stuff. And mm-hmm. eventually I realized that stories can actually drive businesses and it helped me when I was in radio. So when I come to see you, I'll tell you a story of, oh, first, I'll first wow you with stories that are not related because of course we had no targets. We had no time frame. We had, we just wanted to get customers. Then I'll now tell you about how we helped this person get this result by running the person's ads and how you can also get those type of results um, if you want. But that's if you run ads with us, of course, and not with another radio station. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so that's really what, when I started really using stories and I realized that more people, when they hear stories, more people will want to work with you. And a lot of big contracts we got then were contracts that my boss got because my boss is a master storyteller. Like he was so good at telling stories. If you go to see him, if you sit down for, if you say, okay, I'll, I'll see this man for like five minutes, you won't know when you spend an hour there. He'll go from story to story to story and before you know it, you've done what he wants. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I, I learned a lot from him and I saw that stories actually can actually drive sales even faster than facts and figures. Or facts and figures can also, they can complement the story, but the story is like the main thing. Yep. People buy based on emotion and reason it out with logic, right? So very interesting. I I love that you mentioned storytelling. I think it's probably the most underrated, I don't even know how to say it, influencer or influential piece of sales and marketing is storytelling. It's very often overlooked because it's, you know, not the bright, shiny automation, you know, gizmo doohickey thing you know it's boring it can't sound boring okay storytelling whatever but it works right it works it works so as we're discussing what's working in the marketplace what are some trends you're seeing in marketing and sales technology when it comes to email copywriting or SaaS or kind of the things you deal with every day okay and one thing i noticed is now people expect you to know so much about them. We've gotten an era of hyper-personalization where you send an email and the person expects you to know where they are at, on your funnel. They expect you to know what they're doing. Are they using your software? Are they not using it? So that's kind of personalization, which is, of course, made possible by artificial intelligence and all, is what small people are expecting. So if a SaaS company can't do that, most times it's like they are behind in a way. For example, if someone comes to your website, signs up for a free trial, and you send the person an email, of course, welcoming them to the free trial. And seven days after, let's say it's a 14-day trial, and seven days after, this person hasn't logged in. If you send the person another email, unconsciously, the person expects that you know they've not logged in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you understand? They expect yeah. you know, they mail to say, oh, you've not logged in. Um, what are the problems you have and stuff like that? So if you send a sales email and tell them that right now it's time for you to upgrade, the person will likely not upgrade because they believe that I haven't even used this. So that means they, they're not even tracking. That means they don't even care about me. It's, mm-hmm. It looks like, oh, a customer's getting so entitled, but that's just where we are now because customers are becoming more sophisticated. They know that you have all this thing. It's possible for you to track. It's possible for you to predict what they're doing. And when you don't do it, it makes you look a bit lazy. Mm-hmm. They're so expecting, what, yeah. 
yeah, they're expecting you to know. It's not like before where you know everyone believes that oh, I just send a sales message and they just send sales message and they just buy. But now they want you to be that friend. They want you to walk them through everything. Mm-hmm. And I see this too with relevance, wanting things more custom, right? More mm-hmm. tailored exactly to you and you know where you're at and solving a problem, right? What's the reason we buy stuff usually to solve a problem? This goes in line with the future of the internet, as I believe, right? I feel like the future of the internet is in the long tail, right? The very niche, very specific. We've already got the Amazon, the cars.com, the eBay, you know, all the big, large niches are pretty much spoken for, right? For solopreneurs, for small companies and startups. I feel like most of the opportunity is really in the niches, right? The riches are in the niches and sub niches. So I definitely agree with that. So how how can founders or salespeople, marketers create, where do they start? You know, there's 500,000 different pieces of software out there for marketing <laughs> and sales and personalization. You know, what do you do? Where do you start? What are the big levers that you can pull to start giving that more personalized experience? I think first, for every SaaS business, they should know what their customer is doing on the platform, particularly when the person is not yet a paying customer. That way you can predict. So if I run a SaaS company, for example, and someone comes in for a free trial and the person doesn't use the software, I should know. Of course, I won't know for each person, but like it should be in a segment or something. So that when I send out an email to that segment, I can tell them, no, you haven't used the software for maybe six days, five days, whatever, whatever is the trigger. And I want to know why. Is the software too complicated? Don't you need it anymore? Were you just trying out? You know, you just get those reasons. And those reasons now inform your next decisions. So let's say you realize that people are not using it because they don't understand. You know you have to work on your onboarding. Um, if people are saying, oh, they just wanted to test it, but if you prefer to go with the competitor, you have to work to make your software more attractive than your competition. So you, you, those things matter. But the problem people have is because, not people generally, founders have, is because just assume that I already created the best thing. Anyone who sees it sees the best. But the truth yep. is the customer doesn't see that. Customer just wants to get something solved. And when they don't get something solved, they just close the tab and move on to the next thing. So you want to find out why are they moving on? That's the first thing I tell everyone. Why are people not converting? Why is your rate so low? Why is your conversion rate so low? You have to know why so you can actually find a solution. So I think that's basically it. Finding out why. And that's where the whole personalization thing comes in. So track Everything you put on your website. Of course, you know, there are some people who will never, ever buy your software. Even if the software was made in heaven, God damn software does every single thing. Some people will never, ever buy your software. So know the type of people. Okay, what demographic is that? What are people who open multiple accounts? Where do they come from? How mm-hmm. old are they? What do they do? Stuff like that. So when you track everything, eventually it allows this to have a more holistic marketing plan, allows you to send better emails, allows you to be able to reach customers where they are. You custom tailor everything. <laughs> I said custom tailor, but like tailor everything to them 
you get it allows you to do all that. But if you don't know what you're doing, if you don't know your customers, if you're not tracking what's going on, then you eventually lose out on all that. So focus on the free to paid ratio, right? That free trial to paid user. Focus on that free user and how you can get them over to paid. Uh, if they're not using the software, figure out why and then reverse engineer from there, right? If it's too complicated, yeah. have more resources available, right? If they are asking questions, right, make sure there's a way you get to them in a timely manner so you can, you know, keep the momentum going and realize that there's going to be some tire kickers out there who will never buy your software. They just want to sign up for free or just sign up and try it or just sign up on a whim and never do it again. Never use it again. So figure out the the demographics and psychographics of the people who are actually buying and engineer more for them. And then that yeah. kind of that cycle. So bring some context around this. I got to ask what company or companies are doing this the best? And can you give an example of this process from one of them or a couple of them, however many you can think of? Okay, one company I think that does it well, okay, fine, um, HubSpot is a big company. One company that does it very well is HubSpot. So, like, when you go to read something on HubSpot, they'll give you a content upgrade that's mm-hmm. relevant to what you read. You sign up for a demo. And every step you take on HubSpot's platform, you get an email, they, you get something that just tells you that, oh, we know what you're doing here. You understand? And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm thinking because of the way their software is, that's why they have an academy. Because I've really, I've really noticed something when you look at Canva, you look at Salesforce, you look at HubSpot, you look at real B2B companies are really making it in SaaS. A lot of them have an educational arm. They have like an academy. They have like a school. They have yeah. something. And all those things allow you to know that these people are actually tracking. They know what their customers need. And it's not just for free trials. Sometimes also for existing customers. Sometimes you outgrow a software. When you keep using a software, after some time, maybe the software can't cater for what you're, you're looking for, and you can outgrow that software. So at that point, even customer retention can be affected if you're not tracking. So if you know... Okay, I noticed that like 20% of our old users drop off after three months. Why? You understand? So mm-hmm. stuff like that. But one thing I know is that because a lot of big SaaS companies incorporate education and what they put in their education models actually things they've discovered from tracking customers. Mm. You know, it's so funny you mention that because someone I interviewed yesterday was saying that, you know, he's business broker for, and I was actually talking about this with you before we started recording. Um, he's a business broker working with, you know, as he works with all sorts of different companies. We were talking about SaaS and he's, you know, helping broker um, people who want our teams who want to sell their businesses. And, you know, I asked him, you know, what was a common theme? And he said, he called it value stacking, right? He's like these SaaS companies that are super sticky and retain customers and are attract new customers and retain old ones. They have a wide array of articles, videos, they do webinars, they do podcasts, they do all this stuff around resources and front loading 
their product with self-service educational materials in mm-hmm. all different formats. So yeah, I definitely see like that resonates. That resonates. Yeah, because if people get frustrated with something and you know, when people want to solve a problem in 2019, they go to Google, right? In this context, it would be, you know, you go to the support or the knowledge base or whatever you're working on, right? And look for mm-hmm. the answer. If you can't look for the answer and find it on your cell phone, you're probably going to get frustrated and not want to do that thing anymore. It's hard to get someone on the phone or you know, to email support for to solve a problem that a lot of times, especially if it's something they just started trying, they're just going to, oh, well, screw this. I'm just going to, you know, this doesn't doesn't work or this sucks or, you know, I tried it. It's crap. It's probably not, but. uh, I I get what you're saying. Sometimes support is not just available. Like weekends when there's a holiday and now because the world is more global, it means you can be having a holiday in your country where the SAS is located and your customer in another country can't reach out support. So if you're not allowing people to do self-service, of course, people are going to have a higher rate of churn. Absolutely. A question I have about for someone who's not in a large team or with you know a venture-backed company, and they want to, they're growing their SaaS, maybe they're solo, have a small team. What are three different emails or what are emails that they could use to see like a positive uptick in conversion or retention of customers that they could send out and when could they send them out? You know what I mean? Like what's like Mm -hmm. some actionable emails people could send that they could test out and probably see some results. Okay. um, One email everyone should send is an onboarding email. Most people just stop at a welcome email, just send a welcome email. And to me, that's lazy work. An onboarding email would like let this person know it's for some it's if your software is really really complicated you can have an email that's maybe an email course something that goes for like three to five days but if your software is simple a simple onboarding email will help oh hi welcome to blah 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 software this is how it works you can even have links to like your knowledge base articles so people know this is how this works because Many times you just assume that because it's simple to you, because you're a developer, it means it's simple to everyone, or it's not. The average Joe doesn't know how to use your software. Um, yep. And the may just have an idea, but although that onboarding email just lets the person know, oh, if I have any problems, I can first go and check my email for an email from these people and I'll see the solution to my problem. So an onboarding email is yes. Don't joke with it. It should be your first or second email. You can even make it your welcome email. Your welcome email can be your onboarding email. And another thing is for free trials, don't ever leave people alone. If you're going to give someone a seven-day free trial, a 14-day free trial, don't let the person just be alone for 14 days. Then just start hounding them on the 13th day, telling them your trial will soon be over. <laughs> you can stand. Instead, yeah. from time to time during that 14 days, and something that can easily be automated, have some set up emails that just go out to tell the person, okay, fine, how are you enjoying our software? That's one another thing. It's good to send out a survey. Then, how are you enjoying our software? Are you able to reach your goals? Or why are you even using our software in the first place? Because, you know, there was something I was 
reading some years ago that really changed uh, my perspective. So sometimes you create products for target market. So let's say you create something for maybe mothers, um, stay-at-home moms. And when you bring out the products, stay-at-home moms don't buy. Instead, you have uh, career women buying it, like women who are out, probably not married, um, probably just like focus on career and everything. Maybe probably don't even want to have kids. He said, at that point, you just change your messaging because you already know that I build these products for this set of people, but they're not buying. The set of people that are buying is this other set. So you just tune into that set. So that's why it's good to know why are people trying out your products in the first place? Are they doing it because they want to make more sales? Are they doing Who are they? You know, just like a basic survey. Like I said earlier, I really love the way HubSpot does it. They'll ask you, um, what's your company size? Are you a marketing agency? So they just want to know whether you ever use your software or not. They won't stress themselves if they realize, oh, this person doesn't even know what they're doing. They just stumble upon us. Things like that. So a survey mail for that first 7 to 14 days of your trial is very important. Then the third email you should send is the, of course, the one that everyone eventually sends, your trial is running out. So that third email, it won't be... Because you already know why this person is using your software or why this group of people use your software, you can make your third email, which is that which is about the trial running out, you can make it very value-based. So you talk about the results they get from using your software instead of just advertising features or stuff like that. And you can also make it a case study. I really, I really see a lot of case studies do really well. So when you say, oh, how... Let me use your name. How Morgan made $7 million, for example, mm-hmm. using a software in one week. You get, it doesn't have to be something unbelievable, but the point is you want to know why. How did he make it? What's his story? What's special about Morgan? Why would Morgan have such results and I don't have those results? And when you open the email, you see, oh, Morgan is using the paid version. I'm using the free version. If I move to the paid version, maybe I also have similar results you know stuff like that so the last set of emails which is really more about your free trial is closing should also have some value that adds to the customer the person doesn't just feel like oh they're just chasing me for the money or something but the person should also feel like these people really care about my success gosh just fill that gap right like their current place at a and B is the result of the case study, right? And yeah. your SaaS fills that gap and you kind of show them how it fills that gap so that they can cross over to the other side. Awesome. Exactly. Very cool. I like it. I want to give you some time to kind of go over or go a little bit more in depth on your services, what you do, how you help people and that sort of thing. So if someone's listening who could benefit, they could reach out to you. What I do mainly is email marketing. So like I, I call it email profits multiplier. And that's because a lot of people just hear, oh, the money's in the list, but they don't know how to use the list. They feel like I'll just send them an email every now and then and tell them to buy. But that's really not how to use the list. People who send out sales emails day by day, most of them, the ones who succeed the, in that, actually add value to those emails. 
For example, I, I read almost all Ben Seto emails. He sells every single day. Oh, but, yeah. <laughs> but sometimes when you read the emails, you learn one or two things. So it kind of balances out. But some businesses will just look at it that way and feel like every time I send something, I should sell something. But not always. Sometimes you just want to give value first. You want this person to know that we care about you. We want your results. And that's why I, I'm always talking about having knowing what results your customers actually want, not the results you think they want. So when you know the results they actually want, you can actually sell those results to them when you tell them, oh, you know, um, this is actually how you can have that result. And one company I see that does it very well is Teachable. Teachable does a lot of educative content. A lot What's of the name value. Of the Teachable. Oh, Teachable. Okay. They do a lot of value content. And if you follow their blog, not, not their blog, sorry, if you're on their email list, even if you don't start a course with Teachable, you know how to do an online course. You understand what I'm saying? Absolutely. You, you'd have that idea. You, you'll be able to say, oh, let me start something. And when you now look at the cost of hosting and everything, you just say, well, let me just go ahead with Teachable. Um, for me, that's what I try to do for every single client I get, not just in SaaS, in the B2B space. I try to make people see your brand as the solution, as what's going to take them from where they are to where they want to be. So um, I use a simple strategy where the first thing I find out is why. Why are they not converting to free trials? Why are they still maybe, why are you having a high rate of turn? So when I first asked why, sometimes it's like, oh, why don't you just write the emails? But no, for me, it's first, I want to know why. So if you're not doing any survey emails, that's where I start with first. Let's first know why your list is not buying. Let's know why your list is is dead in a way. And if it's dead, can it be revived? Stuff like that. And I also want to know why exactly are you hiring me? Because the time I had a client like that, I always assumed, I just assumed wrongly that my clients really wanted more sales and stuff like that. So all my emails, everything else, like really targeting sales and stuff like that. And eventually the person just called me and said, Lola, I don't want more sales, (laughs) actually. I have enough people. What I want is I want people to see me as a thought leader. So I don't want to sell anything. I just want people to see me like as the leader in the industry. That's changed everything. But I always assumed that, oh, she runs a business. She probably just wants more sales. I wasn't really helping her get what she wants because she already had enough. She had like, her hands were full already. So what she wanted was more of she wants to be positioned as a leader. She wants everyone to look at her and be like, wow, this woman is so brilliant. And eventually that's what I actually had to do for her. So if you don't know why, you, you won't make sales. So that's the first thing I do um, for my email profit multiply. I first find out why people are not buying. And second thing is what kind of content people on your list want to read which goes back to the first thing, because I'll have to know who are people on your list, what are their demographics and stuff like that. And that's now which emails and which ones you won't need. What types of customers are your best customers? Initially, I worked with almost everybody. So I've worked for e-commerce, I've done 
B to C, B to B. But eventually, what I really like about B to B and SaaS is that you have customers that actually are ready to invest in their business. Like B to C is something it works, but sometimes it doesn't. For example, if I consume something, that looks so very logical. I really like instant noodles. So if I buy instant noodles every day <laughs> <laughs> and I eat it every day and eventually I now say, oh, this week I'm just tired of instant noodles. I will eventually, I won't buy that week. Even if the company sends me like 3,000 messages, I won't buy that because I'm just like tired of it. But that's mm-hmm. just B2B. But B2B is if I need the software for accounting, whether I'm tired of the software or I'm not, I need a software to do my accounting every month. Yep. So it's more predictable. You can actually sit down and plan better. And for emails, it's like you already know this is what these people want to hear. These are our customers. It's easier to work with. So that's really why I started focusing more on B2B. And B2C works with a lot of times. It works with trends. Okay, like Black Friday, everybody's buying. In the middle of winter, people may not be buying stuff like that. It's just so unpredictable. But for B2B, especially if your product is something that is relevant and companies have to use it month in, month out, you'd have a stable source of consistent source of income. Except you don't now know how to reach those clients or your marketing is just whack. Or your product is whack, of course. But if your product makes sense, you're going to eventually get predictable income. So it's very easy for me to advise you and say, why don't you send this email and we see a result than for someone who knows that in November I get sales during Black Friday and I don't get sales in January. You know, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So that's awesome. what really makes me focus more on B2B. Awesome. Well, it's been so good talking to you and learning more about your business and just learning from your knowledge on email copywriting and SaaS. What's the best way for someone to get in touch with you if they're interested in working with you or have questions based on what you said on the show today? You can send me an email, of course. (laughs) I think that should be obvious. You can send me an email. Yeah. Omolola at mediacityservices.com. Do I have to spell that? Because I know my name can be quite difficult to pronounce. Oh, we'll um, put it in the notes too, or I'll put in the notes. Okay. Um, um, yeah, go ahead and spell that. And you can reach me on LinkedIn. You can reach okay. me an email or reach me on LinkedIn. Those are the two easiest ways to get me. I check my email regularly, like six, seven times a day. Okay. And <laughs> Perfect. And that's O-M-O-L-O-L-A at mm-hmm. meet at mediacityservices.com. Perfect. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Well, again, it's a pleasure having you on. Hope to hear from you soon. Thank you. I really enjoyed my time here. Thank you. Yep. All right. You have a good one. You Bye-bye. too. Thanks for listening to this episode of the B2B Sales Tech Podcast. If you love what you heard, be sure to head back to morgandwilliams.com and go over to the podcast page for today's show notes and a ton of additional resources. But before you go, hit the subscribe button to avoid missing out on the next value-packed interview. Enjoy the rest of your week and make sure to take action.